Welcome to Notes from the Electronic Cottage. I'm Jim Campbell. On a recent edition of the Electronic Cottage, we tried to look at some updates to topics that we've discussed on the program over the past six months or so. Things can, after all, change pretty quickly in the tech world. We didn't have time to look into recent developments of everything that was on our list in that program, so today, let's continue that process of catching up. First, as anyone who isn't living under a rock knows, there's a big election coming up in about 16 months. Election security is on the minds of a lot of people who are charged with ensuring the integrity of the vote count in those 2020 elections. A lot of folks are worried about possible foreign intervention in our election process. One reason is because substantial parts of the country use all electronic voting machines, which, if they're hacked, offer no way to indicate if votes have been changed or in whose favor. Electronic voting machines, you may recall, came into widespread use in this country in the wake of the 2000 presidential election. Electronic voting machines were supposed to guarantee that we would never have to worry about hanging chads again. These machines were introduced to solve a problem, but like so many occasions in the world of technology, they solved one problem, but introduced new, and some would say worse problems, in the process. We've noted in past programs how even 12-year-olds have been able to hack some of the electronic voting machines that we'll be using to decide who our president will be for the next four years, who will be the majority party in each House of Congress, and who will serve in local offices all over the country. The problem is, in many cases, there will be no way to be sure that the people who supposedly won those elections actually received the most votes. As a result, there's been a chorus of people ranging from local officials to independent security experts to even a few members of Congress who've said that paper ballots should be made mandatory so that if votes do have to be recounted, they can be recounted. Now, there's another voice added to that growing chorus, but this one may be a little bit of a surprise. Electronic Systems and Software, or ESS, is one of, if not the, largest manufacturer of electronic elections equipment. The company recently announced that it will stop selling paperless voting machines. Now there's an announcement that should get the attention of the gang in Washington. Here is a private company that's making big bucks selling paperless electronic voting machines, saying that there is such a potential problem with paperless machines they won't make or sell them anymore. And that's not all. The company's CEO, Tom Burt, has called on Washington to pass legislation that would require that all voting systems, no matter how ballots are processed or counted, include a paper ballot as part of the system. Furthermore, as reported in Ars Technica, Mr. Burt also said that, quote, Congress must pass legislation establishing a more robust testing program, one that mandates that all voting machine suppliers submit their systems to stronger programmatic security testing conducted by vetted and approved researchers. End quote. What a concept! That is certainly what independent security researchers have been saying for years. But whoever expected that the CEO of a company that makes those machines and makes plenty of profit doing so would utter those words? 
This kind of exhortation from this kind of source is bound to get the attention of Congress people and the executive branch, with hugely important elections looming a bit over a year away, right? Not so much. Senator Blunt of Missouri, part of the Republican leadership team in the Senate, for example, responded by saying, quote, I don't think there's any likelihood that we're going to move a bill that federalizes more of the election process, end quote. Proof once again that you can lead a politician to a fact staring him in the face, but you can't make him do anything about it. Keep an eye on this issue. As the 2020 election draws closer, and probably after it's over, we'll be hearing a lot about this issue once again, and we probably won't be feeling too good about what we do here. Meanwhile, an issue that is familiar to everyone, even if you do live under a rock, is the fact of mass shootings in the United States, hundreds of them in fact, just in the past year. Among those horrible incidents that gather the most attention are those that take place in schools. There's always a huge amount of hand-wringing and finger-pointing after one of those horrible events occurs, and there are calls to do something, anything, from parents, town councils, education boards, and so on. School administrators thus find themselves in a very difficult place. It's pretty clear that nothing has been done, or is likely to be done, about reducing access to weapons. So the only other avenue that many administrators think is open to them is to watch students carefully. The goal is to try to identify a student or students who might be inclined to harm others in their school so that they can be stopped before they have that opportunity. But how can school administrators do that? The answer that most have come up with is to use electronic surveillance, not just while kids are in school, but 24 hours a day. Most students who are being surveilled, not only in school, but in their private lives, have no idea that's happening, and often, neither do their parents. Schools say that if this privacy-wrecking surveillance prevents even one fatality, it's worth it. But is it? We'll ponder that question from technical, legal, and moral perspectives right here on future editions of Notes from the Electronic Cottage. Mm -hmm.